Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by Liver Health Formula from Pure Health Research. For anyone looking to ignite their fat-burning metabolism, boost their energy, and transform how they look and feel, they must start taking care of their liver. Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every single day. It's responsible for cleansing and removing thousands of harmful toxins, man-made chemicals, alcohol, and dangerous food additives and preservatives. And after decades of wear and tear, our livers slow down and they become sluggish. And this is why so many of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. Fortunately, there's a simple all-natural solution that I recommend. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels and can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. It also works remarkably well to fight fatty liver which is a silent epidemic affecting 100 million Americans. And right now, as a listener of our show, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you're going to receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. This powerful blend of omega-3 fatty acids supports a healthy heart and brain with four times better absorption thanks to this special nano delivery system. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Just go to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call toll free at 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's get liver help. So G-E-T-L-I-V-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash jockers or call 800-282-1757. You're covered by their 365-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to risk. But supplies are limited, so go head over to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call toll-free at 800-282-1757 now to order liver health formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. That's getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers or call 800-282-1757. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I have got a great guest. It's Dr. Yvonne Bajaudi, who is back. She is a board certified naturopathic doctor, certified functional medicine practitioner, and integrative mental health practitioner. She's a certified gluten-free practitioner. Um, she's got so many different certifications, but she's just all around awesome. She works for us here at drjockers.com. She sees clients from all around the world virtually, 
And today we're talking about anxiety. We're talking about the gut-brain axis. We're going to talk about how gluten sensitivity really plays a role when it comes to issues like anxiety, depression, and different mental health disorders. And so you guys are going to get so much out of this podcast. And if you have not left us a five-star review, now is the time to do it. When you leave us a review, it helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. So just take a moment, leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast, and that would really help us out so much. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community, and let's go into the show. So Dr. Yvonne Bajaude, welcome. Hi, Dr. Jockers. I am so excited to be here with you today, and I, this topic is very close to my heart. So I'm ready to share to the world uh, what gluten does to your brain and how it affects your emotions. And, you know, the reality is when somebody has this issue, it affects their life. Yeah. So it's good to, to find out how, what things you can do to remediate this and just start feeling better. Yeah, this is really key. And we know that anxiety has really gone up in our society. I mean, just in the last 20 years, it's really skyrocketed. All of us have experienced some level of anxiety. Everybody, you know, it's walking the planet has had anxiety at times, but there are people that are crippled by anxiety yes. and yes. it literally runs and drives their life. And they yes. don't realize that this could be coming from their gut. It could be coming from the foods that they're eating. You mentioned gluten, and we're going to talk more about that. But what is the difference between the typical anxiety that any individual may experience when they're nervous about something, maybe a presentation or meeting somebody new or whatever it is, versus people that are literally crippled by anxiety? Exactly. And that is a big difference that need, people need to know so that when they know that difference, they can you know, search for help and the right um, help that they need to get over that. And like I said, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I myself have suffered from clinical anxiety and later on was diagnosed with celiac disease. And so I wish I had known that the relationship of gluten sensitivity, even celiac and anxiety, because I could have done something. But on a positive note, I am thankful that I suffer from that because that propelled me to study about it and then look into natural medicine and what is even more exciting for me is that now I'm able to relate to my clients and and help them. So that is wonderful. And like you mentioned between the difference between, you know, everyday anxiety and anxiety that is crippling, and that would be a clinical anxiety. So how about if we start by defining what is anxiety? I think that's a good start. Mm -hmm. So, um, from a psychological point of view, anxiety is a human emotion that has the purpose. I mean, anxiety does have a purpose and it has a purpose to, to protect us and motivate us to take action, to move us into action. So as soon as we correct that, that is uh, putting us in danger or perceived danger, our anxiety should dissipate. So... From a physiological point of view, anxiety is a type of stress response and it's a function of the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic nervous system, which is uh, works as an accelerator, so to speak. And the parasympathetic system 
Uh, we can think of it as the breaks. So when you experience anxiety or have anxious thoughts, the sympathetic nervous system that is the accelerator is stimulated, resulting in increased heart rate, increased breathing, uh, increased blood pressure, and then blood flow instead of going to all our organs is going into our limbs so that we can run. And like, for example, when you're anxious, your digestion is uh, interrupted. And if you think about it, that makes sense. You know, you want to escape from danger. You don't want to be digesting your food. So um, once the danger is gone or is or perceived to be gone, your parasympathetic nervous system is also known as rest and digest has a calming effect by bringing your heart rate down and regulating your breathing and so forth. So in short, anxiety is a type of stress response that results in a psychological response when the sympathetic nervous system is stimulated, resulting in a physiological change or changes. Now, this is like super, super important to understand that concept because it is important that we know that anxiety is, bio -direct is bidirectional, that is emotions or thoughts may cause a stress response resulting in a physiological change or changes and physiological changes of the stress response may cause anxiety. So it goes both ways and that is so key to understand. Um, so yeah, so there are many causes of anxiety and like you said, Dr. Jockers, you know, when people are having, you know, a presentation or a test, um, I don't know, they're going on a date, you know, it's normal anxiety. It's a day-to-day -day anxiety that is expected um, for, for anxiety to, to, you know, to occur in an individual. And it's helpful because it, it motivates you to action. And that is really the purpose of anxiety. Uh, but for some individuals, like you mentioned, Dr. Jockers, the sense of anxiety doesn't go away when the danger is gone or the perceived danger is gone. And there are times, and this is key, there are times when there isn't any danger at all. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. these individuals are not able to pinpoint, oh, why am I anxious? I don't understand. And, and so that anxiety is the anxiety that we're talking about today. They may have a sense of impending danger, panic, um, uh, you know, things like that, even if they know that nothing is going to happen or they're in a safe place, you know, they may also experience heart palpitations, excessive sweating, gastrointestinal symptoms, trouble sleeping and relaxing. Yeah. So it's like the accelerator is stuck. And this anxiety interferes with normal daily living. Um, it affects relationships. It affects everything. And this is what we call clinical anxiety. There are different types of anxieties from phobias to obsessive uh, dis uh, compulsive disorders to, and, and you know, many others, but conventional, now let me jump into conventional treatment for clinical symptoms of anxiety. Well, typically they are addressed by medication and counseling. However, there are some individuals that are not responsive to therapy or counseling, meaning that despite taking medications or therapy, uh, their anxiety does not resolve. 
So it comes down to um, anxiety of um, when it comes down to anxiety and or any health conditions, natural medicine and functional medicine recognizes that the best approach is to find the root cause. Typically, there are many root causes that create the perfect storm. And sometimes they're what I call the driving factor that is implicated in a particular condition. Mm-hmm. So today, I would like to talk about gluten as yeah. a driving factor in anxiety in some vulnerable individuals. And I, and I think this is important because I don't want people to come out and, and just attribute their anxiety exclusively to gluten. Mm-hmm. But for some vulnerable individuals, this may be a driving factor. Yeah, and really so, almost any dietary component can play a role because there's this intimate connection between the brain and the gut. In fact, they call the gut the second brain because we produce so many different neurotransmitters. There's such a tie-in uh, between what's happening in the brain. And you know, we, we've always used the term like, hey, trust your gut. It's like you kind of get um, a lot of sensory information from your gut that helps, you know, that that plays a role in what's happening there with your brain. Absolutely. And, you know, there are many other factors and, but gluten in this case, we know that is one of the most inflammatory molecules in food, causing a merit of health conditions and conditions from gastrointestinal, neurological, endocrine, and more. And basically any tissue, any organ, any system can be affected by gluten. And it depends on what is your weakest link. So uh, how can gluten affect mood? Some people may be wondering, yeah. how, how is that possible? How, how can gluten affect mind and mental health? And you alluded to that connection. So let's dive into it. So at first glance, it seems like impossible or not plausible. How can a sandwich or a bowl of pasta cause anxiety to anyone? The logical thing would be to have an upset stomach or anything digestive, right? Yeah, yeah, for exactly. sure. And, and some people, you know, obviously they develop celiac, they develop, for some people, they develop irritable bowel syndrome, they develop gas, bloating, constipation, um, inflammatory bowel syndrome, celiac, of course, when, they, uh, when they're consuming gluten throughout their life and they're creating this inflammatory storm, but there's also non-celiac gluten sensitivity, NCGS, that's very common. And brain issues are really, really commonly associated as one of the symptoms where these people, they don't experience gut issues, but they experience other symptoms uh, associated with chronic inflammation from the gluten that they're consuming. Absolutely. And we're going to get to that connection. Yeah. So like you said, uh, you know, most people have gastrointestinal uh, symptoms, like the like the symptoms that you mentioned. And yet there's another condition, like you mentioned, the gluten sensitivity or non-gluten celiac gluten sensitivity. Uh, And when you survey the literature, you will find, and this is so interesting, that 60 to 80% of the symptoms associated with gluten sensitivity are neurological in nature. I mean, that is huge. And symptoms such as brain fog, epilepsy, ataxia, headaches, dizziness, numbness, and neuropathy, just to name a few, are some of the neurological symptoms that are associated with gluten sensitivity that is not celiac. That is huge. 
So um, in addition to this, there are a wide range of psychiatric uh, symptoms and disorders associated with celiac disease and gluten sensitivity, like anxiety, depression, psychosis, bipolar disease, OCD, ADD, etc. So what is so interesting that many individuals that suffer from these symptoms and conditions did not know that they have an underlying gluten sensitivity or celiac disease until they eliminated gluten from their diet or underwent testing. So there's that connection, again, with people that have that sensitivity and celiac. Now, how about if we talk about the brain-gut axis and anxiety to put it all together? Uh, This is going to help us understand how gluten may cause anxiety for some individuals and understanding this relationship between the brain and the gut um, is how it, it impacts the function and especially especially important to know this so that we can do something about it. So, okay, so let's say that you experience this all the time and we all experience this all the time. Many people probably don't know that there's even a scientific label to this for this relationship between the brain and the gut and the gut and the brain. Now notice it's a bi-directional relationship. And back when I started, I said that anxiety has a bi-directional relationship. So let's say that you receive some, you're getting ready to receive news about whether you got a job or uh, you, the sale of your house is, you know, you're waiting and you're anticipating. As, as you're anticipating that phone call, you may feel butterflies in your stomach. Or let's say that you're, you just got uh, news about your best friend that got injured in a terrible car accident and you feel a pit in your stomach. Can you see that bi-direction? Mm-hmm. So now let's say that you have diarrhea after eating at a restaurant and you get up and you feel kind of dizzy, you know, after going mm. to the bathroom and you're not feeling good. Or maybe you develop constipation and you start getting headaches. So again, these are examples of the gut-brain axis. As you see, the gut and the brain communicate, and this communication is through the vagus nerve that runs through the brain to the gut. Now, yeah, the above vagus, is- vagus is Latin for wanderer, right? and it runs, yeah. It's amazing how it runs from the brainstem, goes into the heart, the lungs, goes into the digestive system, and it's your main parasympathetic branch, so it helps activate the production of stomach acid, bioflow, pancreatic enzymes, so you can optimize your digestion. And it's also a sensory component that's bringing a lot of feedback back up into the brain, like you were talking about. So when there's higher levels of inflammation that that are taking place in the gut, higher pathogen load, then it's sending information back up as well to the brain saying, you know what, uh, there's problems down here. Exactly, exactly. So for example, uh, I'm sorry, this example show the relationship between the gut and the brain that is bi-directional. And uh, this affects um, the gut and the brain. And this is through the signaling uh, done from the gut microbiota or the flora to the brain and from the brain to the gut microbiota by means of neural, endocrine, and immune So anyway, there's a reason why mental health 
brain function and digestion are intimately related. And as you were mentioning, uh, the vagus nerves is the vagus nerve is very important uh, with your parasympathetic nervous system, and that it makes sense because if you're in a state of uh, stress, you don't release those important uh, enzymes and and all that good stuff to digest. Um, and many, of yeah. course, are familiar with, oh, I cannot digest my food because I'm so stressed. And ah, oh, but anyway, going on. So, and you mentioned uh, in talking about the inf- inflammatory component of of uh, gluten and other things that can inflame your gut. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the saying, "Gut on gut on fire, brain on fire." Mm-hmm. So. Right. In other words, if we have inflammation in your gut, uh, your brain will also be inflamed. And again, that's through that communication. And if you have poor brain function, your digestive function will suffer as your brain controls motility, enzyme production and digestive function in general. And this is so very important because many of us concentrate only on the cut for digestion, but our brain is also connected with our um, digestive function. Now, it is interesting to mention that with um, this connection between the gut and the brain, uh, there's also other side effects when our brain is injured, like a brain injury, it also affects our gut. And guess what? A lot of people that have brain injury, like a concussion, have a high risk of developing anxiety and other mood disorders or any other, you know, uh, psychiatric conditions. So let's get into gluten and anxiety. So uh, starting with what is gluten? Now, gluten is a molecule found in wheat, rye, barley, spelt, and technically, oats don't have gluten because uh, you know they, the bad gluten, but because they tend to be cross-contaminated through uh, farming and also when processing facilities, oats can be uh, have the bad gluten. So if you eat oats, just as a side note, make sure that that they're labeled gluten-free. That is important. They're certified gluten-free. So gluten is what makes bread elastic and sticky. And actually gluten is made of uh, many, many different proteins and peptides such as gliadin, glutenin, and glutamorphin. And it also has lectins and other non-gluten molecules that may affect some vulnerable individuals. So you don't have to be sensitive to all the molecules of peptides uh, or fractions of gluten. Only one is enough for you to be sensitive and have symptoms. That is very important to know, and we'll get into more detail in a little bit. So we have seen an increase of celiac disease and gluten sensitivity in the past 50 years. The Mayo Clinic study published in 2009 says that there has been an increase of celiac disease four times in the last 50, I'm sorry, yeah, four times in the last 50 years. And it also has been reported that people who did not know that they have celiac disease were four times more likely to die during the 45-year follow-up. Ooh, that is pretty, uh, Mm -hmm. pretty scary to me. So 
Um, the general po population, sadly, and most health practitioners believe that gluten is only a problem with celiac. That is um, for those who have a genetic predisposition or that gluten sensitivity is only manifested in the gut. As some of you know, celiac is a genetic condition and it's only about 1% of the population that causes this immune reaction to gluten that produces inflammation in the small intestines. And this will, um, and it, it damages the villi in the small intestines. Now the villi are finger-like projections that increase the surface of the intestines for nutrient absorption. But there's another distinct condition, like you mentioned earlier, celiac uh, called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and its prevalence. Now, this is so interesting. Its prevalence is six times more than celiac mm. disease. On this podcast, I talk all the time about getting high quality, deep restorative sleep because it's just so critically important for your overall health. And I talk a lot about sleep hygiene. We talk about keeping your room as dark as possible wearing an eye mask, keeping your room cool. We talk about blue light blocking glasses at night before you go to bed. But you know what we often overlook? In fact, I don't think I've ever really talked about it, is the importance of having really comfortable bedding, sheets, blankets, and pillows. I mean, it's just common sense. You really need to be as comfortable as possible in your bed. And that's why I wanna introduce you guys to my friends over at Cozy Earth. They develop and craft high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get the restorative sleep you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. What I love about Cozy Earth is they use this sustainable, viscous from bamboo fabrics and it's softer than cotton. It feels amazing and it's temperature regulating, which means it will keep you cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row, and they have a 10-year warranty on all their products, and they offer a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, guys. I guarantee you are gonna love their fabrics. Check them out, go to CozyEarth.com and they provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. You get 35% off site-wide when you use the code DRJockers or Dr. Jockers, all one word, DRJockers at checkout. So again, go to CozyEarth.com, use the coupon code DRJockers at checkout to save 35% off today. So more people are having this non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which they tend to have more neurological-based symptoms than the people that are actually getting to the point where they have celiac. Now, celiac is kind of a late-stage diagnosis because the villi, those little pockets in the intestines, are fully destroyed by the time the celiac diagnosis is given, right? So the person could have a lot of symptoms or just you know malabsorption and a lot of different digestive struggles before they're given that diagnosis, um, but then, you know, the, for the amount of people getting diagnosed, what you're saying is that these the, the individuals that are dealing with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, it's six times the amount. Right. And you know what is uh, for those of us <laughs> that have symptoms in your digestion, your digestive system, we're kind of blessed we, because we can make that connection. 
you know, yeah, it's a little sense. easier. True. A little yeah. easier to connect when you're having digestive symptoms. Oftentimes people think about what they ate, right? As opposed exactly. to anxiety, depression, uh, brain fog, irritability. Most people are not connecting that to food that they ate. They're connecting it more to circumstances or, you know, whatever it is like going on in their life, which it could be, you know, that obviously plays a factor in it, but we know that the diet and what's happening in the gut plays a huge role as well. Yeah, exactly. So both celiac and gluten sensitivity may present with neurological and psychiatric complaints. Now, this is interesting as their main symptom. What is most interesting is that 35% of newly diagnosed celiac disease had no diarrhea or digestive symptoms, dispelling the myth hmm. that diarrhea must be present to diagnose celiac disease. That is really interesting. That so even 30, people that 35 35% of people with celiac did not have digestive symptoms, not just yeah, the diarrhea. And, right, right. Oh, so that. Yeah. So um, now examples, uh, again, of neurological complaints that these individuals may have and many individuals in general that have a gluten sensitivity can be things like headache, brain fog, numbness, migraine, ataxia. And this is a problem yeah. with balance, yeah. tinnitus, insomnia, and so forth. So there, And there's no psychiatric condition that has not been found to be associated in the literature mm. with gluten such sensitivity or associated in general things like anxiety, depression, psychosis, bipolar disease, and so forth. So it's, it's interesting to note that about 70% of celiac patients, their main complaint is not gastrointestinal in nature, but neurological and psychiatric. Of course, there are other manifestations like joint pain, uh, skin issues, and so forth. So, so let's think about why is, and I get this question all the time, all the time, why is gluten so bad? It's kind of hard to understand because we have been consuming wheat for thousands of years. So why is gluten so bad? So let's talk about that because that is so, so very relevant. Number one, uh, we have found in the literature that gluten has been found to be the one of the most inflammatory molecules. So gluten is, is capable of producing inflammation, not only in the gut, but every tissue in your body. Number two, gluten has been found to break down the gut-blood barrier, resulting in systemic inflammation. Now, the gut-brain barrier is designed to only allow well-digested particles of food to go into general circulation and prevent pathogens and other damaging molecules. When this barrier is compromised, it opens the door to inflammation, pathogens to attack your organs, your body. It opens the door to, listen to this, it opens the door to autoimmune mechanism. So this mechanism has a key role in autoimmune conditions, not only celiac, but things like Hashimoto's and lupus, for example. Now, the third thing, why gluten is so bad, once there's a breakdown in the gut-blood barrier, the brain-blood barrier breaks down as well. As you know, the health of the brain 
that will be compromised. And that is a mechanism that results from a gut on fire, or a, I'm sorry, and a, a gut on fire is a brain on fire. Uh, number four, gluten sensitivity has been found to be a risk factor for opening the door to many food sensitivities. Now, I know a lot of people do, who are sensitive to gluten don't take it very seriously, but they should because, like I said, it opens the door to many other uh, food sensitivities. And before you know it, you have more and more and then you cannot eat a lot of things. But yeah, anyway. and I know gluten, I don't know if you mentioned this, I, I didn't hear it, but uh, gluten increases the amount of zonulin, which is a little protein that increases the permeability in the intestines, meaning that, you know, the little, you know, the, in the, our intestines, it's one cell wall and these cells are held together by these tight junctions. And the tight junctions are basically connective tissue that holds it together. And we need that to be like pretty strong and 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 uh, steady, you know, and and resilient in order to protect large undigested food particles and bacteria, bacterial waste, things like that, from getting into the bloodstream. And so zonulin creates more permeability, meaning it weakens those those tight junctions and allows for more bacteria and pathogens and potentially undigested proteins to get across into the blood into the bloodstream. And then our body says, oh my gosh, there's high bacterial loads or there's high amount of bacterial waste products like lipopolysaccharides, we call that endotoxin, and that drives up inflammation throughout the body. And so this is one of the mechanisms uh, behind it is this increase in zonulin. Exactly. So it can start with gluten. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it goes on and on. And then lastly, and there are many things to why gluten is so bad, but today I'm mm -hmm. just talking about five that are pretty huge. And the next one, gluten is a factor in creating dysbiosis. That means that more bad bacteria populate the gut, producing an imbalance in our immune system and every system in our body depends on a healthy a microbiome. Now, there are a few of the mechanisms that make gluten more problematic, a more problematic food molecule. And, and this is shown by the stati statistics. So according to the literature, there are two major factors driving this. Number one, wheat has been highly hybridized. Now, starting in the 60s and the 90s, uh, plant breeders hybrid different wheat varieties in order to improve yield and disease resistance, making wheat harder to digest and making it more immune reactive. So, um, and this is important to know because there to know because there is no GMO wheat in the market yet, or uh, genetically modify organism also known as bioengineered. And that is important to know because now GMOs has relabeled or remarketed mm -hmm. their products by calling that bio, bioengineered. So if you hear the bioengineered uh, food, that's really uh, the new name for GMOs. Now- So wheat isn't GMO, but it's hybridized. It's kind of a natural way of crossing different plant genes. Mm -hmm. And it's done in a way to create, you know, a, a type of bread that I guess, you know, it is tastier, that most people find to be tastier, easier to use, 
than you know bread that many of our ancestors were using or wheat i should say that our ancestors were using right and you know what we cannot outsmart our body i'm yeah. sorry our body knows heck no this is not normal this is not the way nature intended it so going back to gmos and this is important to understand that distinction because gmos products um what they do they want to produce stronger crops but say for example take tomatoes they may take tomatoes they need to be able to to uh have tomatoes in the icy weather so what they use they use genes from uh salmon to modify weather resistance in tomatoes so this across species and this has not been approved with wheat which is a good thing now the second reason why uh gluten has become or wheat has become so bad and this is super duper huge is a glyphosate now glyphosate is an active ingredient in roundup and it has been proposed as a major factor in the epidemic of celiac disease and gluten sensitivity mm. and is why go ahead dr jockers well i mean i was just saying yeah i mean glyphosate it's uh very hazardous to the gut lining right so really damages yes. our gut microbiome and the gut lining and so again you know this gut lining is only held in by one it's only one cell wall and we've got these tight junctions to hold it in place and we need to do everything we can to help create a very strong, stress-resilient gut lining so we don't have pathogens getting into the bloodstream, so we don't have um, endotoxins, we don't have large undigested proteins. So these kinds of things that make the gut lining weaker, more um, permeable, right, or damage the villi, drive up inflammation in there, really, really problematic. And, um, you know, that's going to increase our risk of developing autoimmune conditions, neurological conditions. You know, today we're talking about anxiety. So, yeah, glyphosate's a huge factor here. Right. And some people will wonder, well, why do we use glyphosate with wheat? Well, it's right. widely used in wheat and crop and oat crops and many others. And it's used before harvesting and uh, of many non-organic crops. And the purpose is to reduce the amount of residue that needs to be cleaned up and get a head start to the next uh, years of weeds. So according to a published paper in the Journal of Interdisciplinary Toxicology, fish exposed to glyphosate develop digestive problems that are reminiscent of celiac disease. Now, celiac disease is associated with an imbalance in gut bacteria that can be fully explained by the known effects of glyphosate in gut bacteria. That is so interesting. And then celiac disease, characteristic impediment in detoxifying environmental toxins and deficiencies in vitamin D, iron, um, tryptophan, and many other nutrients uh, and poor bile uh, production and so forth match glyphosate's effects and depletion of these nutrients and amino acids. Now, furthermore, celiac disease patients have an increased risk of lymphoma, infertility, miscarriages, birth defects can also be explained by glyphosate. In other words, glyphosate toxicity matches the celiac disease impairment. Mm. Um, now so the glyphosate study... is kind of amplifying um, 
the the effects of what's happening there with gluten? Actually, uh, the way the 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 research is presenting it is more the reason like glyphosate is in the wheat in the in the actual molecule and and it becomes toxic but if we didn't yeah. have that we probably wouldn't be experiencing this so it's not so much amplifying it but producing that so, effect so what you're saying is if somebody were to get organic wheat without glyphosate they may have better uh, a better uh, experience with it and it wouldn't be as inflammatory. It wouldn't increase zonulin. Is that what you're saying there? Yes. But then in addition to that, you have to have, um, we have what we call new wheat. So even if you have, because our wheat in America is so hybridized and is polluted with glyphosate, even if you get non-organic uh, wheat, you may still have the 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 effects of the new wheat. Yeah, you mean Does getting organic, getting organic wheat because it's hybridized. You're saying it's changed the gliadin uh, strains or the the gluten that's in there, um, which can increase the inflammation. Where whereas we look at something like einkorn wheat, which um, basically is a type of wheat that was used back in biblical days. Um, so thousands of years ago, that wasn't hybridized, and the molecules of proteins in there had a different structure that was that's a lot more tolerable. And you can still get einkorn wheat, and if you get organic einkorn wheat, you're saying somebody should have a much better response with that. Correct. And now we also have to remember that for some people that are genetically vulnerable to sure. be sensitive to to wheat, even if they have ancient weed and that is organic, they will still have an immune response. So that mm -hmm. is important to understand. But for those that don't have an immune response to gluten and that say they would go to Europe where they don't have our weed, they still have ancient weed and glyphosate is outlaw. Many of people report that being gluten sensitive in America when they go to Europe, they don't have those reactions. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard yeah. a lot of people say that as well. Yep. Yeah. So just to say, so if you have celiac or you have a genetic uh, predisposition, it, you will, it will affect you still. So I wouldn't recommend that. So in conclusion, there's a definite link between gluten and anxiety having to do with the gut-brain axis. And there are many reasons why wheat is a factor in anxiety. It is a very inflammatory food molecule and hence having the potential of inflammating the brain, breaking the gut-blood barrier and the brain-blood barrier. And it has the potential of causing an in increase in food sensitivities, and that is so sad. <laughs> So it has yeah, been found sure. to, yeah, I know. So it has been found to be a key factor in autoimmune mechanisms and gut dysbiosis having an impact on brain function and mental health. So there are two major reasons why wheat and gluten are so inflammatory molecule, hybridization of wheat and the use of glyphosate on wheat crops. Yeah. So, we can so what, what should somebody do here? So um, 
obviously going gluten-free is one thing, but there's a lot of gluten-free things that are in the grocery store that, you know, I wouldn't exactly say are healthy, right? They're using a lot of uh, gluten-free alternatives that may have a less of an inflammatory effect, but a lot of them are really highly processed, hyper palatable types of things. And so, um, you know, so when you're looking at it, just because something says gluten-free doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, really, we want to look for real whole foods, right? Absolutely. And and I like to touch on that because there's been studies that show that when people go gluten-free, you know, their inflam inflammatory markers go up. And it's just what you said, that people say, oh, it's gluten-free, so it's healthy. So I can have two muffins instead of not having any muffins mm -hmm. or have one. And a muffin is a muffin is sugar, is refined flour. And then when they're gluten-free, there's more additives to it and flavorings to make it more palatable. So it's very dangerous for us to assume that something that is gluten-free yeah. is is healthy for you. And a lot of times so they're using corn, which you know technically is, is gluten-free. However, oftentimes it's not organic and it's highly sprayed with glyphosate, like we were talking about exactly. earlier. Exactly. Exactly. And sadly enough, a lot of people that are sensitive to gluten are also sensitive to corn right. and so forth. But going back to what do we do? So if you're suffering from anxiety or a mood disorder, uh, what you need to do and what I recommend that you go on a gluten-free diet for at least three weeks. And I suggest that uh, you be squeaky clean. I mean, absolutely squeaky clean and get educated before you go on to that diet. Because like you, we mentioned, many people just jump right into, uh, you know, gluten-free items. They are not healthy at all. So the reason why we want to do an elimination diet is to bring that inflammation down. And a lot of people have, uh, they are able to notice a difference. Now, their anxiety may or not resolve with only three weeks, but they, most people do feel a difference in their entire system. You know, people start feeling like they're less achy. They feel their headaches are gone. Their digestive symptoms are gone. So what I suggest that when you want to do that, that you sit down and make a list of all the symptoms that you have and don't think anything. Oh, there are um, only think of digestive symptoms. No, no, no. Go at any symptoms that you have. It may be insomnia. It may be restless legs, anything you can and uh, that you can think of that you're suffering and then go into this elimination diet. And when you do elimination diet, choose foods that are naturally gluten-free. Okay. So that would be so important. And let me reiterate about the importance of being gluten-free. This is not going to be like a diet, like normal weight loss diets where you have a cheat day. Oh, I'm just going to cheat today or this meal, because then you're going to produce that inflammation, that uh, immune reaction. You got to be gluten-free. And what, how I'd like to illustrate the importance of being gluten-free and what it is 100% gluten gluten-free is like saying, I'm going gluten-free is like saying I am pregnant, okay? So what does that mean? you either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You cannot say I'm almost pregnant. Today I'm pregnant, but tomorrow I'm not. No, 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 no. You're either pregnant or not pregnant. That is how serious you have to be 100% gluten-free. Now, it is particularly troublesome to go gluten-free when you go dining out because you get exposed 
uh, to other foods, cross-contamination and so forth. And for those uh, occasions, and um, I recommend that you go with a special enzyme formula that will help you digest the gluten if you happen to be cross-contaminated. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Paleo Valley. They make the most powerful, pure vitamin C supplement you can get. Because unlike most vitamin C supplements containing synthetic ingredients that are created in the lab, Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is made from three of the most potent whole food sources of vitamin C on the planet. Nothing weird, just food. Check them out at paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off today. It's also a good idea, you know, if you are very gluten sensitive, maybe you've been diagnosed as celiac, you know you've got significant symptoms. You have a very low threshold because there are some people that, uh, like for example, I'm gluten-free, but if I have gluten, it's like, I don't really notice any symptoms, but I go gluten-free in general because I want to keep inflammation under control in my body. But if I were to steer off, you know, one or two times, I have a certain threshold, you know, that I'm able to handle. Um, although, you know, for the most part, I stay gluten-free. Um, whereas others, their threshold for what they can consume is very low and drives up inflammation, particularly genetically, if they have a genetic susceptibility uh, to it and they've tested to have, you know, antibodies associated with uh, certain components of it. So for those individuals, I think it's a really good idea to actually tell the waiter too that they have a severe gluten reaction. In today's day and age, um, restaurants are, are, you know, they don't want hot, they don't want an ambulance coming to the door. Right. So right. if you say words like that, like, Hey, I have a severe gluten allergy. Um, and so I just really want to make sure that I'm able to enjoy my meal here and we don't have to call the ambulance. <laughs> they right. will do whatever they have to do to figure out, you know, how to get you a really gluten-free meal. Exactly. Exactly. And another possible next step is to do some testing to find out if you're gluten sensitive or have celiac disease or have a celiac genetics. And that is important because for some people that have celiac genetics, but they yet have not developed celiac, yeah. this is so wonderful. So because what are the genes? So HLA-DQ? Uh, you're right. And, yeah. and there's, the, yeah, exactly. And so what I have found that with um, working with clients, that labs, having that lab done gives them um, an incentive and it's more powerful for them to go gluten-free and stay gluten-free. Exactly. When you know that you've got the genes associated with it, um, or perhaps you've done like antibody testing or something along those lines, then uh, it definitely gives you more, you know, just verifiable data that make you more convicted. Exactly, exactly. And the lab test that I recommend is the complete gluten sensitivity panel. And this panel tests several weak fractions or peptides of gluten as opposed to the only one that most uh, offices test, which is alpha-gliadin. And this is mainstream testing. And when you order, uh, when you only have that particular test, just one alpha-gliadin, you miss a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of even, people. Even, gli even uh, gliadin, you've got like beta, gamma gliadins, exactly. right? That that you may be having a, res a response to. There's transglutaminase, 
uh, enzymes in in wheat gluten that uh, you may be reacting to. There's like a whole bunch of different compounds in there, so you're only getting you know a percentage of people if you're only testing the alpha gliadin. Exactly. So if you learned that you need to avoid gluten via elimination diet or testing, elimination of gluten is permanent. It is not going to be for a period of time until your gut heals is going to be permanent. And this is important to know because uh, it will prevent that inflammation to be ongoing uh, yeah. and is very, very important. And I find people, this knowledge give them, it makes them very upset and it, you know, and rightly so. And it has, you know, we're so um, tied to, our food is so tied to our emotions, right? So it's very, but what I'd like to help people think is that you can see this as a half full or half empty glass of water. So I choose, and I, I, I invite everybody to choose to see it as a half uh, full uh, glass because how many conditions do you know that if you eliminate one food from your diet is going to bring your condition into possible remission or is it going to prevent you to get more conditions or that so just by doing that one thing is going to improve your quality of life that for me, that is not a, ha a glass half full. That is more like my glass is overflowing. I mean, that is so exciting that I can do one thing to improve my health so much. So take heart. Eliminating gluten may be hard and is very challenging, but being sick and anxious, really, is, is worse. And eliminating gluten from your diet may help you improve your overall health and prevent other conditions. Because when you look at the literature, practically any, any conditions you can find an association with gluten, like diabetes, cancer, um, Parkinson's disease, etc. So in closing, I like to mention that I created a questionnaire to help people determine if they have a risk for celiac disease or gluten sensitivity and is by no means diagnostic, but it will help an individual determine if it would be a good idea to do an elimination trial or getting testing done. And if you're interested, you can email me at dryvonne.drjockers.com. That's my email and you can request that questionnaire. Yeah, that's great. And that's super helpful for people to know. So, uh, you know, basically what you're saying is that going gluten-free here could be one of the easiest steps, even though, you know, it seems like, hey, that's a lot of foods. There's so many other foods that you can be consuming and enjoying. And it really beats a, a lifetime of sickness, suffering, developing, you know, multiple different uh, chronic health conditions and, you know, depending on medications for the rest of your life and medical treatments. And there are so many people out there that are doing that. And if they just remove gluten, that would go a long way in actually improving their health. And so um, really great information. You guys can email Dr. Yvonne at, again, uh, D-R-I-V-O-N-N-E. So Dr. Yvonne at drjockers.com to get that great questionnaire. And that will help you understand if potentially gluten is an issue in what you're dealing with. So um, definitely, definitely do that. Thank you again for your time, Dr. Yvonne. This is a wonderful presentation. Thank and guys, you. we will see you all in a, in a future presentation. Be blessed, everybody.
Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.